0: I believe that the whole point and purpose of life is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and um, that song uh, covers a lot of a lot of turf and one of the things when it talks about um, you know he says that there's a secret I must tell and just that that compelling that we have to, to tell people about Christ and what he has done and uh, in the second verse it talks about the secret going to the corners of the earth and one of the things about um, about having a relationship with Christ is that he has called us uh, to make sure that everybody knows about that availability And um, throughout different points in the year, doors open up, whether it's uh, to go into parts of Baton Rouge and let people know that, whether sometimes it's to go to work and let people know that, or your neighbors. And sometimes it means going uh, to other countries, and sometimes it means going across uh, the pond and across the oceans and stuff like that to get to um, places in the earth where there are people that God loves and are incredibly important to them. And over the summer, we did our best to, to constantly let you know um, those people who are serving in different parts of the world in different ways, and we took time to pray for them and to give you updates. And so we're going to start to hear from some of them now that they've been back for a little while and have been able to process things a little bit. And so um, Angel Cutno is going to come, and she's going to share with us uh, a little bit about her time, um, and I'm just going to let her say it all because I don't think um, Well, can't really do that. So y'all know what to do when someone comes on the stage. There you go.
1: Hello. Um, So like Josh said, I spent my summer in South Korea. And some people have been confused and they think that I was in North Korea, but that's impossible. I just want to tell you all that. I worked with North Korean refugees in South Korea just to clear it all up. So when for those of you who've been on mission trips, you know that when you get back um, and people ask you, how was your trip, it's always really impossible to summarize everything you've been through. And so I have found a new way to answer people that kind of catches them off guard, but then it strikes me enough that they wanna ask more. And so when people ask me how my summer was, I say that it was really, truly heartbreaking. And so they just look at me and I say, but it was the most important thing that I've ever done with my life. So this summer, I spent two and a half months in South Korea. And I was initially drawn there because my mother is from Korea. And since I've been in college, I've just felt a growing desire to relearn about that part of my history. And so I applied for the trip thinking that I was going to go work with North Korean refugees who were going to be in their mid-30s, men who were just desperate looking. And when I arrived at the school, I just I had... I was completely blown away because um, I didn't realize how involved my summer was going to be. We lived with, ate with, rode the bus with, and fell in love with every single North Korean student. Um, So I imagined, so sorry, these students, they were just wearing clothes like us, and they had iPods, you know, and cell phones, and they just looked like they were there to volunteer just as much as I was. But just by looking at them, you would never know the torture, the mistrust, and the abuse and fear that their entire lives have brought them through. So our team of six was split into two schools that were three hours apart. And by age default, I was left in charge of the three of us. And Kayla, who was actually with me this summer, she's here tonight with me from Mississippi. So y'all be nice to her. She's sitting back there. <laughs> and um, I'm by no means a professional English teacher. So our classes consisted of phone conversations, translating music lyrics, playing hangman every single day, and teaching the cha-cha slide. (laughs) So the name of the school was the Heavenly Dream School, and it was established especially for North Korean refugees. Um, Every one of the students at our school had, had a story. Half of them had been in prison, and half of them were orphans. And all of them have to escape North Korea because of the desperate situation that's going on over there. I lost a page. But, um, so, <laughs> um, sorry. The situation in North Korea is just really desperate. Um, if you aren't in the government, you're living in extreme poverty. And people have been known to resort to cannibalism and actually eat their children there because they're starving. It can take them a month or two, a month or two, whereas of wages to buy one pound of rice. And they're restricted from watching TV, radio, books, anything about anything outside of North Korea. And if you're caught doing any of those things, then they'll most likely put you in prison. And if you were caught with a Bible, they'll most likely, well, they will kill up to three generations of your family. And so because of these reasons, our students have to leave North Korea. It is just terrible. The communist government controls everything they do. And the only thing they can do is escape into China. So they have to cross the Duman River into China. And when they get there, the Chinese government has actually made an agreement that said that if North Koreans cross into their soil, they would grant them the status of being a legal refugee. And when this happens, China, I'm sorry, Canada, America, um, South Korea, and Europe will take them into their country. But China's been going back on their word and their government has been capturing the North Korean refugees and they've been torturing them, using the boys for labor, selling the girls into prostitution, and they've been you know, abusing the women, and they've even been known to put rings through their noses like animals and tie them to each other and lead them through their camps. And then they send them back to North Korea. And so if you've already escaped North Korea once and you are caught and they send you back, most likely they'll kill you when you return on their soil. So like I said, half of our students have been in prison and they're orphans. And actually one of our girls, we named her Sunny, she told us that she had grandparents, parents, and two siblings back in North Korea. And we assumed that they sent her because she was the strongest and most able. But now she has no way of keeping in touch with her family. And she actually attempted suicide last year. And another one of our girls was escaping with her mother. And they were crossing the desert in Cambodia. And her mother was already really sick. And she got captured there. And so she said the last time she saw her mother, she was really sick and starving. So she has no idea if her mom is even still alive and no way of getting in touch with her. So my heart broke every single day for all of my students, and I wanted to do something, but lots of times I just didn't know what to do. So while we were there, we attended a prayer meeting, and they told us that there was a man who was leading a, one, a one-man protest every single day, for the 444 days leading up to the Olympics. And they said that on Saturdays, a group went and joined him, and as soon as they said that, I knew that I had to go. And so that Saturday, Kayla and I hopped on a subway. We traveled an hour, and we got there, and we couldn't find the protesting group. And so we called the contact person, and they said they canceled it due to ex- the extreme monsoon weather. <laughs> and we had traveled an hour to get there, and they canceled it. But, so I was a little disappointed, but then we, I was just more excited about going the next week. So the next Saturday, we went, and we caught up to the group, and it was only about 10 to 15 people. And Kayla and I, we just saw some signs, and we grabbed it and jumped right in and we just walked with them and then when they got to the halfway point we took a break and only about three people in the group knew us and the rest of them looked at us and they said you know who are you where did you come from and so they introduced us to everyone and most of them are americans that are there teaching english in korea and there were two men dressed as soldiers one is a chinese soldier and one is a north korean soldier and between them there was a girl with a black bag over her head and her both of her arms were tied with ropes and either of the men were holding her arms to represent their tortured victims that the two armies fight over. And there was another man that was there, and he was a North Korean man, and they actually made a movie about his life this summer. The movie's called The Crossing, and it came out this summer, and we got to watch it with 700 North Koreans and all of our students. It was one of pretty much the rarest experiences I'll ever have, and it was just really overwhelming to be able to watch that movie and realize that every single person in that room had been through what we were watching on the screen and so to be able to meet this man was really humbling And it was, I was just at a loss for words I had no idea what to say to him so then when um, our friend was sitting next to us in the movie it was just completely true the entire time she said it's so true I was in a desert like that I was in a prison like that you know our government treats us exactly like that it's completely true And so it just, it was so sad, I didn't even, I mean, there's nothing you can say to these people in that situation. But then back at the protest, um, one of the soldiers came up to me and he said, so are you ready to speak? And I was just like, you've only known me two minutes, what makes you think that I'll speak to all these people? And he just said, just talk about your experiences with your students. And so we started walking down this alleyway and it's this large open air traditional market and there's stores lining it and there are lots of tourists there. And so we were walking and the Chinese soldier was speaking in Korean and then we would reply by saying to China, no human rights, no Olympics. Basically meaning that if they can't respect people's basic human rights, they have no right to host the Olympics. And so he looked at me and he handed me the megaphone and he said, okay, speak. <laughs> so I just started by saying that I know many of you here speak English and if you do, don't walk past me and ignore what I'm saying. Take some information and be educated on the facts. Because by being uneducated, we're just as guilty as the Chinese government. And so, the reason I said that is because so many South Koreans that we met, every time we told them that we worked with North Koreans, they were always shocked and they would always say, how did they get here? How many are there? I had no idea um, North Koreans lived here. And what do they look like? What do they look like? They're Korean. They look just like you. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if they expected them to walk around with, you know, a label across their face But, I mean, they were Korean, and these people just had no idea, and they were really uneducated So that was a really important fact for me And so I finished talking, and I just took a deep breath when I was done And I was just like, ooh, you know, I couldn't believe I did it So we started walking some more, and the Chinese soldier kept speaking to the crowd And then he turned to me, and he said, okay, do it again and I was just like, I really can't. You know, I gave it my all the first time, and he said, just say the same thing. And so I did it the second time, and I was a lot more emotional, and we finished, and I just cried and cried. And for me, that day was such a huge milestone in my life. But then the summer just had one last thing for me in store. Until my last week that I was there, I got to spend time with my extended family, and some of them I haven't seen since I was 10 years old the last time I was in Korea. And so my aunt and her husband and my cousin took me to the 38th parallel, and that is the line that separates North Korea from South Korea. And it is just, it's the most heavily guarded area in the entire world. There is just barbed wire fence everywhere. It's huge. If you just imagine the Mississippi, it's impassable. You cannot cross that river, but you can look out and you can see North Korea on the other side. And so just standing there and imagining how the people felt on the other side was just really overwhelming for me. You know, they can just look out and think, If only I were lucky enough to be born on the other side, you know, how different would my life be? And so when we were leaving, I was in the car, and my aunt, she turned to me, and she said, by the way, um, we forgot to tell you that your grandmother was born in North Korea. And it just completely caught me off guard. I just stared at her, and she said, but it's not really a big deal, because she left before the war, and before it got really bad, before they separated, so sometimes we just forget about it. But to me, that was the hugest thing she could have ever told me because that just um, reinforced what I feel is my new life motto, which is be the voice for the silenced. And since I've been back, sometimes I feel really useless over here on this side of the world as if I can't do anything to affect all those people because they're really inaccessible to us. But I feel as long as I keep telling the story of the North Koreans, then I'm being the voice for the silenced and forgotten people of North Korea who I now consider my extended family. And so I was going to play a PowerPoint, but I've been having a lot of problems with it. But um, the song that was playing with it was Hosanna, and I think we have sang it here. But the line that I really wanted all of you to go away with is the line that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because that is, I pray that that's what everyone's prayer is. Because my heart breaks every single day for all of those people in North Korea. And so I pray that you will just tell that to God and truly mean it. So that's it. Thank you.
0: Let's uh let's stand up and we're gonna pray for them. In uh in Luke chapter four, it's kind of Jesus' uh debut, and he um pretty much proclaims what he's come to do. And uh he's reading uh from Isaiah, but this is a fulfillment of that he's the one to come and to do this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, that was his job description. He was describing for us why uh, he has come. And so let's pray that uh, that those things will happen through the believers that he has there now and will continue um, what Angel and all those teams that went over there have um, been a part of. Let's pray. Father, it's, uh, it's hard for us uh, to imagine that those conditions exist, and it would be so easy to look the other way and to pretend that that's just... Um, exaggeration, um, and to kid ourselves into thinking that those things only happen in movies and on television. Um, So God, thank you for Angel's testimony tonight to let us know that those things are in fact real. And God, we know that um, there's nothing that is impossible for you. And we hear those things and and it's just seems like such a such an impossible thing to overcome and in our small way of thinking we just we think that that's sad, but we think that what's really sad is that that's never going to change, but we've seen you do amazing things we've seen you go above and beyond and just completely blow our minds. And so, Father, we we just ask that you um, that you continue to send people in to South Korea. And God, as, as North Koreans, as they escape, God, may they hear the gospel through the believers that you have in South Korea. And God, will you just begin to will not begin, continue to tear down walls, not just the political ones, God, the spiritual ones that are there. God, to continue to send missionaries and to raise up pastors, and um, God, that the truth will rise up. And God, that that somehow Bibles will make their way into North Korea and continue to, to be smuggled in there and that the gospel will take root and grow. And God, that from that, we'll see change come in the political scene and in, in the spiritual realm, God, we believe that, that one day we will be praying and thanking you for setting captives free in Korea. It may seem crazy to, to political um, people and to military strategists and all that kind of stuff, but it's, that's just the kingdom. God, we thank you that we can confidently ask you to do things because we are praying in line with your heart. We're praying the things that you prayed. God, will you continue to, like Angel said, to, for the things that break your heart to break our hearts. And we will love the things that you love and that we will hate the things that you hate to the point where it changes the way that we live each and every day we love you father and we pray all this in Jesus name amen All right, you guys have a seat okay we're gonna keep going tonight with um, our series looking at identity in Christ. I'm going to try to do a better job this week of making sense. You can laugh if you want. I won't get offended. Uh, I know I was a bit on the confusing side last week, and uh, for that I, um, I don't really apologize, because I tend to get rebuking emails when I apologize for anything. Uh, so, I won't say I apologize. I'll just say, my bad. My um, bad. We're gonna we're gonna start off, and we're gonna be in the book of Colossians, big shock, chapter two. Um, what I want to do tonight is I kind of want to take the last uh, the last kind of stab at um, just establishing some uh, some roots of sorts. For us to to better understand identity in Christ. And then we're going to take a couple weeks and we're going to build on it. We're going to look at how identity makes a difference in our lives and how it affects different aspects of our faith. But first we have to understand what the world we're talking about. And so I'm going to continue to kind of use these boxes and all that kind of stuff. And So hopefully things will continue to kind of make more and more sense as we go. In Colossians chapter 2, Verse thirteen and fourteen, we um, we see the the first of three points I'm going to make tonight. So if you like points, you like organization, there will be three. They do not. I'll start with the same letter. So if you like, say, you know, sermons brought to you by the letter P, uh, and the number three. This will not be your night. Um, but uh, they um, there'll be three points, and what we're going to do is we're kind of look at three different aspects of identity of salvation um, kind of in the order of going from things you hear the most to things you probably hear the least okay and so we're going to start off and we're going to look briefly at um, at what happened to us legally when we um, began to be in Christ all right and here, here's what I mean look at uh, Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14 verses 13 and 14 it says then you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. All right, this is probably the most common um, way that the gospel is explained: is is in legal terms. All right, so you look at thirteen. Um, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. All right, we've been talking about in uh, earlier in Colossians where it says we were rescued for the from the what? You might remember. No, awesome. Uh, yeah, dark, dark something, dark something. The dom- dom- yeah yeah uh, domain of darkness, dominion of darkness. You know, call it what you want. Um, from the, from the Dominion of Darkness, this says we are dead in our transgressions and, and sin. It's the same idea. Um, we've been using these, these Tupperware-type bowl things to talk about this, being dead in our transgressions and in our sins. Um, we were born with sin. That's what the golf ball says. Sin was inside of us as was passed down to us from Adam and Eve all the way until now. And then um, sin was in us, and we're surrounded in, by this sinful world and all these influences that we have, and so we're completely surrounded by uh, self-centered living, and um, everything kind of shoots from that, whether it's pride, or um, whether it's greed, or you know any of the seven deadly sins, however you want to look at it. All those things come from uh, the fact that there's, there's a problem. Things went, went wrong at some point. And so um, this would be uh, the domain of darkness, or looking at this scripture, this would be where it says, you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, okay, that would be that. Um, and and probably the the, the biggest point um, that I would would kind of make is that, like i made every week, nothing nothing can change that. No matter how good or bad you are, no matter you know who you are or whatever, there's nothing, status, good deeds, nothing that's going to change this. And um, and so that's you know, that's bad. And so a lot of times uh, when when we talk about you know, being saved is about is about what once was dead becoming alive, that's what it is. I mean, if something can't do anything to change its own condition, it's dead, right? I mean, if plant dies, I mean, plant is dead. It can't do anything. I've watched them die on my porch a lot. Uh, they just die, and there's just not a whole lot that, that you can uh, do about it once you're dead. And so um, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. So you're sitting over here, and and here's here's God over here, and and we're we're separated from Him. And here's, here's the thing, the reason why, uh, why this point makes so much sense to so many people is because we're dealing with, with what happened to us legally when, uh, when we were saved. Okay? So if you're a note taker, the first point is what happened to us legally. And this is something we can understand because we kind of understand um, good and bad and punishment and all that kind of stuff. So uh, here's, here's everything in a nutshell. God is over here, He is holy, He is righteous, He is perfect in every way. And here we are, dead in trespass and sin. Now, because God is holy and he is righteous, he always does what is right. Um, He is the standard by which all rightness is measured. And so he cannot um, let sin exist. He's obligated by his righteousness and his holiness to do something about it. And so, what he has to do as God, as I mean, it's in his job description, is he's got to destroy this situation right here. And so, in the New Testament, it talks about us being objects of wrath. And so, at some point, his wrath will be poured out on here until this was all destroyed. And he has to. And so, we, can, we understand legal stuff because, I mean, justice has to be carried out, right? And so, this verse you who are dead in your trespasses and, your, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. God made alive together with him with him and so this kind of uh... is what happens um, as we've demonstrated before um, god takes you out of this situation and it, he takes sin out of you the sin is no longer what defines you and drives you and what you're enslaved to now he takes uh... christ all right and he puts himself inside of you and inside of me and that now becomes where's my lid oh. <laughs> you don't want that uh... christ might get out <laughs> No, just kidding. Um, he won't get out. Uh, he won't. Bad theology right there. If you're going to send me an email, send me an email about that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he takes the sin golf ball out of us and he puts himself inside of us. And so when, in the Bible, it talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a very simple um, demonstration of what that means. That when you ask Jesus into your heart, this is literally what happens is he somehow comes to dwell inside of us. And so now um, what is inside of us, um, which since that is what defines us, we are now defined by Christ in us and not by sin in us anymore. He is in control. He is what overflows. He is what is the determining factor in all things, in all of life, all the time. And so it says um, we once were dead, but now we have been made alive. I lost my place. Okay. You who are dead, God made alive together with Him. He didn't do this from afar. He got up close, made alive together with Him. And so uh, Christ is in us, but also says that we are in Christ. And so we put uh, you and Christ inside of Christ as well. And so somehow, and we don't really know how this works, but somehow Christ is in here and He's out here at the same time. He's in you and you're in Him. And it's just one of those mysterious, beautiful things that you just are just like... Awesome. Don't understand how it works? Doesn't really matter. Sounds like a good deal. And so that's where that's going. And so now you're alive and Christ is in you and you're in Christ. It says that you're hidden with Christ in God, literally. And this is all sealed together by the Holy Spirit. And so um, this is a a quick illustration of you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now you're alive together with God in Christ. Okay? Awesome, right? Doesn't get any better. Take this into, you know, I, I did this at uh, Parkview Chapel one day with like, a bunch of elementary school kids. They were great. They thought it was awesome. They didn't really understand it, but they liked, I think, the visual illustration or whatever. And so um, it's, it's, But that's what happened in a very simple way. That's um, what happened very deeply within us. And so, um, go, go back to the verse. Uh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? Cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. All right? So that wrath that was supposed to be poured out on us um, was instead poured out on Christ, and because of that, we now have Christ in us, and we're in Christ, and, and this is our reality. Okay? Um, we understand the, the legal stuff, and... And probably at some point, maybe you heard it explained this way, maybe it was uh, Mr. Kirk Cameron himself that explained it to you like this, but um, when it comes to like, what happened to us legally, people like to set up the scenario of there's a judge in a courtroom, and you are on trial, and you are guilty of sinning, and right before the judge sentences you to death by, I don't know, wrath, um, right before he sentences you to that, um, his, the judge's son walks in. And I was trying to think about this. I was like, oh, we can make, make this fun. Maybe like like Judge Judy. I was like, oh, no, God's not a woman. Uh, God's a man. So I had to go to the classic TV judge, Judge Wapner. And so, uh, so Wapner's there, and he's just about to sentence you. And then Judge Wapner's son comes in, and Wapner's son's like, I will do the time. I will bear the wrath, you know, whatever. I will take his place. And so Judge Wapner says, all right, that's fine with me. Bangs the gavel. You're free to go. Whatever. Okay? That is... Uh, usually how it is explained as to sort of like what Jesus did, that Jesus stepped in and said, instead of, instead of us bearing the wrath of God and being obliterated because of sin, that our sin would be transferred onto Him and He would take all that on Himself. And so the reason why we can be here in Him is because legally there's, there's no longer anything being aimed at us. Like we talked about last week, how... We are, um, we're free from accusation. There's nothing left that God can come at us about. And what's awesome and scary uh, is, is that like, it doesn't matter how bad you are, that you can't change this. I say it's scary because we can abuse that real easily, can't we? You know, We all kind of get to that point where we're like, hey, I'm forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can just ask for forgiveness after, and everything will be cool. That's why grace is so dangerous, you know, because grace, anything powerful is like, uh, it, it, it can be good or it can be bad, you know. Dynamite can be good, dynamite can be bad, you know. Anything that's strong and just like completely powerful like that can be abused. And so, um, so what happened to us legally is that we can now be in this situation and we do not have to worry. We do not have to live a life Where you know, where you 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 mess up, you have a bad day, whatever, and you really think that God is completely going to crush you and annihilate you, and that He's gonna undo all this stuff and put you back over here to teach you your lesson. So that's what happened to us legally. That when we stand before God, there's nothing nothing else coming at us. And it's really, really important that we understand that, that that our identity in Christ is sealed and taken care of, and there's no like loophole. Out there that he's going to find. All right. Now a lot of times that's what, what happens. Then you have invitation time and you come forward and you know who wants you know Jesus to take the, you know whatever. And so you do it that way and, and all that. But that is not the only thing about salvation and the only uh, angle on this. If you turn turn back a few pages to Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight we see what happened to us uh, relationally. Romans 8, verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. All right? So, legally, like you know courtroom has been dismissed. But God went beyond that to then adopt us into His family. Like it says, it's not a spirit of slavery, it's a spirit of adoption, that we are now sons and we are heirs, that we have all the rights that, um, that an adopted child then has as a part of their family. Um, the courtroom analogy would be, all right, so Wapner is there about to send it to you. His son comes in and says, I'll take the wrath, I'll take the punishment, um, you know, whatever. I'll do the jail time. And so Wapner says, okay, that's cool. And then Wapner comes down off of the bench and comes over to you and looks you in the eye and takes you by the shoulder and looks you just square, square on and says, look, um, I want to adopt you into my family. I know that you're a criminal. I know that um, you made some mistakes or whatever. Um, I don't want to just send you out there. I want you to be a part of my family. I got a a spot at my table, all right, that is reserved for you. I've got a room that I've been working on for you. Um, There's always food. There's always love. There's always grace. Um, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm gonna write you into my will. Everything I have is yours. It's always been that way, really, and it's always going to be that way. And so, what has happened here is not just this legal thing where we're like, "Whew, we're off the hook." Now it's it, it's gotten a little bit deeper, hasn't it? You know, there's a relationship that's there, and the, where it says, um, "You have received the Spirit of adoption." We good? Awesome. <laughs> Is it really a roach? Oh, Lord. (laughs) A roach at the BCM. Who would have ever thought? (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's all right. I don't like them either. Did it fly? If it flew, we're getting out of here. <laughs> we're dismissed. <laughs> it's dead? You got it? Hunter got it? Hunter you, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's look back at this verse, if we can. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, you don't use the word Abba lightly. A lot of times people say, oh, you know, it means daddy. But you don't, you don't use the word daddy lightly either. See, Abba implies a relationship. One where, there is, there's, where you know each other and there's reverence and there's this respect that's there, you know. And it's, I, I, I talked one time about you know, Jesus calling the Father that, you know, and, and likening that to... Um, you know, when, when people try to call, would try to call my grandmother, mama, and I was like, oh, whoa, she's not your mama, she's mine. You know, you got to be this, you got to be in the, you got to marry into the family, and then you got, it's gonna be a while before she's mama to you. You know, um, you you don't just lightly do that. And so what this verse is saying is that um, the spirit that's given to us as we are here, it's not just this legal thing. There is a relationship that is happening here. And, I mean, we talk about that in, in, you know, Christian circles a lot, you know, about a personal relationship with Jesus and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, have, do, how, many, how often do we really stop and, and think about the significance of what that is saying? It's not just a relationship with Jesus of like, you know, uh, Jesus is my friend, regardless of what YouTube says. You no, know that's all? Anybody? No? All right. You should YouTube it. It's awesome. Um. Jesus is, is your friend. Yeah, he is. Jesus is um, you know, closer than a brother and all that kind of stuff. But it's more than that. And when you pray to the Father, because of what Christ has done, you have the ability to not just call him Father, you can call him Daddy. But there's a lot more going on here than just coexisting. You know, and meeting for coffee once a week. That you have a place at His table and He doesn't look at you and and think like, oh yeah, there's that kid I adopted. Like, look, there's my son. Look, there's my daughter. We instantly went into this intimate relationship with God. Instantly. And when He looks at you, regardless of what how you think he perceives you when he looks at you he's looking at you as one of his children and yeah there are times when my father looked at me as one of his children and was disappointed because i was acting in a way that just it wasn't me and some you know god does that with us i think it doesn't change the fact that like that we're sons and daughters the relationship doesn't change how we interact sometimes changes, you know. And there, and, and there are times when, um, when, when there is some tension there because we're acting in a way that's contrary to who we are and we're just not being ourselves. But our Father still sits at that table and He still looks at us as a son and as a daughter. And there's love there and there's compassion there. And that doesn't change. And so it goes so much beyond the legal Stuff. And it really changes people who walk down an aisle and repeat a prayer because they don't want to go to hell. Because it's so much more than the legal stuff. The guy he could have stopped there. He's like, no, no, no. I'm I'm a king, and I'm also a father, and I want a family. My kingdom is a family. It's it's both. So we know what happened legally, we know what happened relationally. The last thing is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's what happened to us inherently. What happened to us on the on the inside. And this is a verse that, um, that just means it means a lot. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. A new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. Anyone who is in Christ, that's how you're described. There's a legal thing and then there's a relational thing, but what this is talking about is something that is inside of us. And so you may hear the the legal gospel preached a lot, and it may even go further as far as being sons and daughters. But but this part, for some reason, is it's avoided a lot of times. Maybe it's just not explained very thoroughly. And so I want just just give me a minute because I I want to make sure that we all understand this. Anyone who is in Christ is a, a new creation. We're not talking about getting polished up on the outside. That God took care of things legally and he's brought us into his family and we're sitting at the table and he looks at us as a son and as a daughter, but he went beyond that to take care of something that is about us on the inside. See, that's where the, the judge analogy thing, it doesn't work there because there's, you know a judge, uh, you know, an earthly judge could, could you know, let's say he could pass off a sentence to someone else. Okay, we get that. And then he could come down and Watner could come and he could adopt you and take you home and all that kind of stuff. Cool. But... Wapner could not reform you on the inside, because if you had gone around, you were on a killing spree. He, Wapner, I mean Wapner's awesome, okay, but he can't make you not have that kind of heart that led you to commit those crimes, right? But that's what that's what God did, and so so many times, um. Christians walk around thinking that they are uh, sinners who've just kind of been polished up. Sinners who have been forgiven, but they're still sinners. And that's, that's that's not the case, because in that case, there would not be a new creation. It would be God spruced up the old creation. It would say anyone who is in Christ is a better looking old creation. The old has gone, and the old has not really gone. It's still there. It just looks better. It smells better. There's no longer any, you know, there's no law. There's not a legal charge against it anymore, you know. He's a son, but yeah, he's an adopted son, you know, whatever. And it's always going to be whatever. See, for something to be created new means that you have to change the very substance of what makes it up, right? Here's the, the only thing I could think of that actually made sense. It may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to me, all right? Gustav was coming, all right? And everybody's hunkered down. Uh, and you know, you don't hear that phrase ever, ever in life, except for when a hurricane's coming, and everybody's using it. Uh, and so um, it was almost time to hunker down. And, um, you know, I kind of was like, all right, you know, I have some gasoline uh, for my truck. But I, I was just like, oh, I'll just swing by Walmart, pick up another gas can, you're right. And so, uh, of course, there's, there's nothing there. And, and I'm walking out, and I, you know, I'm like, well, I look over, and I see these blue containers, like water containers, like if you're going camping, and they hold seven gallons of water. And so there's a whole pallet of them just sitting there. Of course, it's like one in the morning at Walmart. Don't know why I'm there, but I'm there, and they're open, which is weird. And so um, I walk over, and I pick up the container, and I, and I mean, it's, it's, it's thicker than a gas can, you know? And so I'm trying to think, like, is it gonna, gas going to eat through this? I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. And if it does, I mean, you know, I was like, okay, well, then you lose like 20 bucks, so that's not good. Um, but I was like, no, I'm just going to, I don't really have a choice, and I'd rather, you know, go for it. So I buy this gas, this uh, water can, and uh, I, I, you know, I buy it, and I go to the gas station, and I'm, like, putting gas in it, you know, and the guy's like, is that a legal container, you know? And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> you know, got kind of played dumb. And, um, and so I, so I put gas in it and then I uh, took it home, and so I had my, like, my five-gallon gas can that was full, and I had my seven-gallon blue water container that was full of gas, and then, you know, whatever, and it's all sitting there. And, and it, here's the thing. Um, that blue water container is holding gas. So really, it's not a water container, it's a gas can, right? Because, I mean, what is inside of it is what determines what it is, true? And so, even though the manufacturer's sticker on there says it's for water, and we know—I mean, I'll never use it for water because, uh, if we go camping and I bring that sucker along, you better, you better, uh, yeah, don't trust me. And so, um, but from now and forevermore, I now have a gas can. I don't have a water can. I have a gas can. It still looks the same on the outside, and I could have probably returned it to Walmart, and they apparently don't check receipts ever. So I could have taken it back, and it have been still a ga- It looks the same on the outside, but it's what inside that determines what it actually is. And see, when you came to know Christ, and He came to live on the inside, the outside of you may look the same, and you may still talk the same, and you might still have some of the same habits and tendencies, but you and I were completely made new on the inside. You are not a sinner that has been cleaned up on the outside. You are now a saint that has some issues. Okay? There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. See, if if we think that we are sinners that have been cleaned up on the outside, we look at holiness as something that is completely unattainable. We look at Christ-likeness as something that we could never, ever do. And Christianity becomes us walking through life with the carrot dangling out in front of us and we'll never ever get to it. And it's why so many people uh, just basically just kind of quit. And they give up. But the reason why it says Christ in you, the hope of glory, is because Christ in you now determines what you are. And so because He is dwelling in you, you can look at holiness as something that is completely uh, completely possible. God has totally set us up to succeed and to live holy lives and to make uh, the right decisions. And, and the, th- the thing is, like everything about us has been uh, redeemed. Our, our motives have been redeemed. They have. Our desires have been redeemed. Our emotions, redeemed. Our personalities, redeemed redeemed. Everything about us, everything that's flowing out is now new because it's all Jesus. So We're not sinners that have been cleaned up a little bit. The difference is on the inside. And so when we read these things, and it's like you've been given everything you need for life and godliness, so we can look at that and say, absolutely. I look at that, I'm like, you know what? I, there's no way that that I should look at anything in Scripture or anything about life in Christ, or anything that I just so desperately want to see my life become, and I should not. there's not one thing I should look at and say, yeah, that'll never happen for me. This is the hope of glory. This is what it's all about. Because it's not just a legal thing. He added to that a relational thing. So, of course, He wants His sons and His daughters to be everything that He died for them to become. And so then you add to it, there's this inherent change in us. You are not who you used to be. I don't care how much you still talk like you used to talk or think like you used to think or behave the way you used to behave. You are not who you used to be according to the Word of God. That this is who you are. We're saints that have some issues. And that's how God designed it. That's how God set it up. This is the plan of God for your life. And I believe everybody's life that's ever lived and ever will live. I think this is, this is what he wants. To have a huge, huge table with lots and lots of chairs. <laughs> a big yard. <laughs> Maybe a house that's not small. Isn't that great? I mean, it's amazing to me that that we can stand here and just like this world is completely unchangeable by us, so is this. When when we talk about Jesus being, um, His whole approach is come just as you are, I totally agree with that. I think Jesus looks at us and He says, I want you just like you are. I think he also says, don't you dare think for a second that we're going to leave you that way. You're not going to stay that way. We're going to refine you. We're going to work out those rough edges. We're going to make you look like me. Because we are his sons, we are his daughters. And so when you and I, when we look at these boxes and we think about our identity and who we are, We, there's really no reason to do anything but but love him. to embrace what he's done. just embrace it. So you don't understand it. Okay, let's, let's seek understanding, let's discuss. but you just got to love him. Let's pray together. God, um, it's difficult for us a lot of times to really understand some of these things that we're talking about. We can use little boxes and stuff like that, and, and it helps. God, we need Your Spirit to make the Scriptures come alive and to teach us. We know that You're here with us tonight. God, we thank you for what has happened to us legally and what has happened to us relationally. God, I think it's what's happened to us inherently that we struggle with so much. To see ourselves as you see us. God, help us to unpack that. Help us to... Help us to to see our lives the way you see us. To see the reality of the change that has happened within us. Help us, God, to not, to not use um, you know, the, our performance in life as the determining factor to tell us what's real. We want you to be all, always to always be what determines for us what is real. God, we thank you that we are new creations, that the old has gone away and that the new has come. Only you can do that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's let's stand together. I want to read this to us. We're going to sing a little bit. In Ezekiel 36, sorry, in verse 25, it says this, this is a foreshadowing of everything that we're talking about. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave to your forefathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. See, that perfectly describes the exchange that is there. That He takes out what is old and dead and puts in Him who is alive. You are full of life. You are not who you used to be. So let's sing a little bit in light of all that God's Word says about us tonight.